0: From the Catholic Archdiocese of Adelaide and Archdi Radio and Podcasting, this is the Parishes of Adelaide podcast for Wednesday, July the 29th. I'm Michaela Howard-Jones.
1: And I'm James Meston. On today's episode, we'll be spending time with the Adelaide and Payneham Parishes.
0: This morning, we visited Father Anthony, Father Peter and Kate at the Adelaide Parish in the City. We started with Father Peter's reading and reflection on this Sunday's Gospel.
2: A reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. When Jesus received the news of John the Baptist's death, he withdrew by boat to a lonely place where they could be by themselves. But the people heard of this, and leaving the towns went after him on foot, So as he stepped ashore, he saw a large crowd and he took pity on them and healed their sick. When evening came, the disciples went to him and said, this is a lonely place and the time has slipped by. So send the people away and they can go to the villages to buy themselves some food. Jesus replied there's no need for them to go give them something to eat yourselves but they answered all we have with us is five loaves and two fish bring them here to me he said he gave orders that the people were to sit down on the grass and he took the five loaves of the two fish Raised his eyes to heaven and said the blessing. And breaking the loaves, he handed them to his disciples, who gave them to the crowds. They all ate as much as they wanted, and they collected the scraps remaining, twelve baskets full. Those who ate numbered about 5,000 men, to say nothing of women and children. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Lord Jesus Jesus
3: Christ.
2: Christ. There are two themes that come through this. The first is the theme that runs through the whole of the gospel. And that's the question of who is Jesus? And the answer the gospel gives is That this is the son of God. In the start of Matthew's gospel, he is portrayed as the son of David through the genealogies. But by the end of the, the gospel, it's clear that he's the son of God. So he's answering that question here as he does with all the miracles. He's healed people. And then he feeds you know, a grand final size crowd, a COVID grand final size crowd, 5,000 people, probably 10,000, because the women and children don't get a gig. They get fed, but they're not worth mentioning here. So, why is that significant? Because one of the things that God has done throughout the Old Testament has fed. God's people. Think of the manner that follows the people as they travel out of Egypt into the promised land. Think of Elijah, who is able to create enough food to feed the woman and her son who put him up for a while, so that the flour and the oil in their kitchen never runs out, as it does in ours. Alicia, who feeds a much smaller crowd. And in the same way, of course, for us, we look forward to the Eucharist when we continue to be fed by God. So the question for us is, who is this man? And the answer is, It's God made man, Emmanuel, God with us, who feeds us. The second sort of sub-theme here is in in that um, what the disciples say when they say this is a lonely place and the time has slipped by. I think we could probably say we're all in a lonely place. I think that's one of the things the pandemic's really brought out. And I think of all those poor people trapped in their homes for whom coming to mass was not just a religious but a social experience and now uh, the kids say no mum you're at risk i'm not going to take you i think of all the people for whom their only contact now with others is often through the media through podcasts like this through live streaming And again, perhaps that's the way that God feeds God's people now. To deal with that lonely place, Jesus empowers his disciples. He says, you break these loaves or I'll break them. You give them to people. We're Jesus disciples. What are we doing in this time of pandemic? to reach out to our brothers and sisters in their lonely places.
1: Would this be the moment where you go and sit down and we reflect on, the, on, your, on your homily father? Uh, yes. Okay, good. <laughs> I didn't want to jump in just no, in no, case no. that was going to be no. like a really uh, – a pause that we really need to go. <sighs> no, no, okay, no, no, moving no. on to the next thing. Um, it's it's interesting uh, and secondly, I love that um, the podcast has made its way into its homily now for the second time. So I appreciate that blessing, Father. Thank you very much. Um, in, the read- in, the, in the feeding of the 5,000, using uh, a lot of those kind of really rich metaphors that have so many different usages and so many different applications – to this period that we've just come out of really with the whole COVID-19 thing, referring to this whole idea of people feeling alone and isolated. How have you helped support people that have come to you?
2: Well, uh, one one of my hats I wear is I'm chaplain at the Women's and Children's Hospital. So I'm there two days a week visiting people.
1: Where do you see your place in all that? How can you be of, of help? To be there. And what does that look like?
2: It's different for different people. Uh, the, the women's and children's is non-denominational in mm. the chaplaincy model. So I am there, though I'm there for the church. I am there as part of the, the pastoral and spiritual care team. So I visit specific people who've identified as Catholics. Mm. So I go to them and I say, "Look, you're so stupid that you wrote down Catholic on your entry form. So you get a visit from me on Tuesdays and Fridays." <laughs> Usually breaks the ice. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but I also visit people who aren't Catholic, uh, and if, in so far as they've identified themselves as anything, have identified as Hindu, Muslim, Buddhist, atheist is my favourite.
3: Um, <laughs> and what
1: does that look like? So do you actually go and visit everyone, even if they've so, named so, themselves? So, so as so there are
2: two wards where I visit everyone. Okay. And, and so when I go in there and I know that they haven't identified as Catholic, what, what I say is, I'm Peter. I'm from the pastoral spiritual care team. We recognise that hospitals are bloody boring. And so we offer an alternative boredom. Like Tuesdays and Fridays. I will come and bore you. If you don't want to see me next Tuesday, hide under the bed. And that generally starts a conversation. Oh, sure, it does. The, the, um, but but so w- w- why why I, I tell you that is that so there's two different approaches. In fact, there's a multitude of approaches. We are there to accompany people on their journey. Medical people don't accompany, they lead, guide. We just go with them, into whatever joys or sorrows that journey might take.
0: I love what you said earlier about um, the different hats that you wear. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine having that position at the hospital. Um, it You would think that before all of this COVID experience started happening everywhere, that that is such a, a niche skill or a, a niche job to be reaching out to people who are particularly vulnerable or particularly struggling. But how have you found that that has prepared you moving into a COVID time where it's not just specific people who are really struggling, it's it's everyone?
2: Yes. And I suppose that's where those kind of of encounters, because they can be fairly intense, Mm. uh, have helped me uh, when, when, you know, someone sees me after Mass and says, you know, I'm doing it hard.
0: What do you think the main difference is then between um, what you would expect? Going into a room and visiting someone at a hospital versus having someone reach out to you and say, Father, I'm really struggling. What, what, is there anything that surprised you that maybe you didn't expect?
2: There's a greater intimacy in a hospital chaplaincy. You know, you're, you're in that person's bedroom, really. Mm-hmm. Often there, there's a, a far greater distance between me when I'm wearing the collar and, and, and standing in the foyer of the church.
0: Do you think that makes it easier or harder for people to reach out?
2: In the hospital, Catholics find it a lot easier because I'm Father Peter and they know that if push comes to shove, they can get the Eucharist, uh, a blessing, a prayer. If they're of an age and in, in a condition where they need it, I can anoint them so that... There, there's and uh, it's easier to make the contact.
1: Kate, what has been the – because I'm sure people will be saying, you know, uh, when can we come back to Mass? When can we do this? When can we do that? Uh, when will, you know, the entire Eucharist be offered again? I'm sure there's those sorts of questions become very common. What have people been bringing to you that you have been unprepared for? Like the challenges of people going through this whole COVID experience that you were like, oh, that's taken me completely by surprise.
4: It's. I think because people have have been very tuned into this via media, we've had lots of challenges, but I don't think they were surprise challenges, because of how, of the publicity to it all. I think it's information has been everywhere, and a lot of what we do has been governed by. Government legislation and government uh, mandates, etc. So we just have to flow, go with it. I guess so,
1: but it doesn't make it any easier when someone rings you up and says, "Look, I'm really struggling with this. I'm really struggling with the the, the limitations, Absolutely. not being able to. Um, you know, uh, um, there's a funeral happening. Absolutely. My family can't come and be there. You, I mean, I mean." I, I wouldn't imagine that you'd be saying, well, that's government legislation, no, so no, that's just where we all. are. I mean, you have to be... We have to be very empathetic we are, tough.
4: Um, absolutely, on a human level, very, very much so, and that's how I connect with people because I feel their frustration. We yeah. you know, so far we've moved, or well, I've moved, 50 weddings. There's by the end. 50? Of, yeah, by the end of the year... I guess it would have to have been, yeah. Yeah, by the end of the year, it's got the potential to move about another 40 you expect somebody to be upset over that. So you're, the, the best thing you can do and the greatest thing you can do is to connect to somebody on a human level. And Because I do, I do feel their empathy and their pain. I have a 97-year-old mother that I didn't see for three months because she's in a nursing home. Yeah, right. So I think none of us remain untouched by that. You know, you feel the frustrations of the people that really... Wanted their children baptised. You feel the frustrations of the poor families who have to choose between uh, which children and which grandchildren can attend funerals. You know, you have to connect on a human level but I don't think any of it took as a surprise because I'm human too. So I felt every announcement, my heart and my head, goes straight to those families that I deal with constantly on a daily basis. And I guess being a daughter of um, a very elderly mother Mm. who is in a fragile state in a nursing home. You're very, very in tune and very aware of the impact that COVID will have once it hits a nursing home. So I connect with all of those people who do not have uh, the ability to see their loved ones. I know how that feels like. I know how it feels to have that sort of worry. I'm a mother and I'm a grandmother and one of my grandchildren has been gravely ill with meningitis. So I try to, and he's thanks to everybody's prayers and support here, he's made a full recovery. But I use my own experiences to reach out and be genuinely empathetic.
0: Um, you guys have a really um, specific, particular interest here at the um, parish in social justice. Would I be correct in saying that? Lots of different, um, I suppose you, I've, I've, I've definitely heard lots about different um, uh, projects and stuff that you guys do that f- really focus specifically on social justice.
4: I might let Father Anthony answer that one.
3: <laughs> yes, yes, uh, uh, we have a programs to look after different faces of our communities Mm -hmm. and even last week i was having a discussion with my finance and parish parcel council about this uh, international students because this is a city and our 6 pm mass probably half of them would be international students and now two-thirds wouldn't be here because they cannot get here but one-third they are here and they don't have any any assistance from the government as they are from international communities. So our strive is now how to reach out to this. And now we are looking at, uh, uh, with St. Vincent de Paul Society of our parish and with our generous parishioners to see whether we can get some vouchers, food vouchers, mm. so that we can call these uh, boys and girls who are here struggling because from their home back, their families are struggling and they cannot send money over here. So they are struggling here. So it's, it's a hard line. So we are working on that. And St. Vincent de Paul Society, Father, Father Peter is the chaplain for the parish, uh, St. Vincent de Paul, and they are working out plans how we can reach out to these people. And we have got seven churches in the parish. Uh, so different little communities around. They have, uh, sometimes they started Zoom meetings and they had coffee in Zoom uh, to connect elderly people from different homes. And then uh, there is telephone chain in one parish. So various means people used, our communities used to connect to these isolated people. And for me as a person, I had two incidences really touched my heart, uh, especially during this COVID-19. The first one was when I went to Royal Adelaide to meet Paul Ferguna, uh, whom you might have seen in the TV. He was the last patient to come out of his COVID-19. He was my former parishioner. So the family called me and uh, I went to the COVID-19 clinic with all my kids and I saw him and he is so grateful that he said, Father, you are the second person outside of this medical world I can see. First was his wife mm. and it was me. And it was a very touching experience mm. to, to see this man saying that you are the face of the church. Mm. And I believe in prayers. So in, in, uh, in Tranmere Parish, they had chains of prayers and they connected to quite a lot of people praying for him. So he was so grateful that the church was able to reach out mm-hmm. at that point of time of his life. Mm-hmm. And the second incident was a funeral. So that time it was only, I think 20 people. I did a funeral, so it's a large family. So three grandchildren couldn't come for the funeral. And I was standing there and thinking, if, if it happens in my family, how would I feel? If, if my niece or nephews are not able to come for my, grand, my parents' uh, funeral, how I would feel? So, then what we did after the funeral, we took the car and the hearse, went to the home and the grandchildren were there in front of the home and then from there they said goodbye and, and went to the cemetery.
1: Late last week, I had the pleasure of visiting Father Alan, Sister Josie, and Carmel at the Paynham Parish. Father Alan, talk to me a little bit about um, your parish. Talk to me a bit about what
5: makes your parish unique. Unique? I, yeah, I, unique. I don't know that we're unique. Really? Um, we, I think the, it's Father the, Alan. The, that the, reality, makes it the reality of it is that, uh, um, er, er, like in every parish, um, we have people who are faith filled and they want to come to daily Mass, and, they, and others who want to come to Sunday Mass. And so they desperately want that and so they've desperately waited for the, the various restrictions to be opened. And so uh, at the moment, in stage three, um, we have um, now whatever whoever wants to come yeah. can come because the, our restrictions don't allow us to, to say you can't come in the door. We can have uh, 250 people and I don't get 250 people for morning mass yeah. or for a, a normal Sunday mass. So... We're fully open in that respect.
1: Oh, well, that is wonderful. Carmel, I don't want to gloss over what you just said before. You said the thing that makes the parish unique is Father Allen. Talk to me a bit about that. What makes um, Father Allen such a unique part of this parish? Oh,
5: he's
6: loved by everyone.
1: Mm-hmm. What is it that people love about Father Allen so much?
6: Well, it's just Father Allen. So uh, he fits in, um, he's there for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got so many people in our parish. He's there for the Italian people. He speaks the Italian language. Uh, he's there for each of us if we have a problem.
1: I can imagine the ability to actually speak Italian here would be so important, like it would be part of what would bring a lot of those parishioners here, out here, like we're in Payneham in the eastern suburbs, we have a very strong, you know, Italian community out this way.
5: Of all our masses, the Italian mass is the biggest mass. Is it really? Yes.
1: Okay. And, like, wh- t- talk to me a bit about your background, Father Alan. How is it that you can speak fluent Italian?
5: Uh, Fifty years ago I was in the seminary and uh, had nothing to do for one year and so I learnt... Uh, Greek, Hebrew, uh, Latin and Italian, just to waste some time. You did and, that in a year? I did that in a year. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's the reason why uh, the only one that stuck was Italian. Oh, okay. And I was going to say, if you could do all of those, that I, would be incredible. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I tried the others and uh, I got somewhere, little way, little where, but the, the Italian was the best. And... I was sent to an Italian parish, firstly to Tranmere, then to Parkside, and eventually here in Paynham where I've been for the last 34 years. Yeah, wow. 34 years, that's huge.
1: Yes. So just a tip for people, because I have tried to learn, and you make me feel like I just waste my time now, that when I have time and doubt, like watch television or read science fiction novels or something like that, rather than going and learning another language, I tried to learn Polish. And I was told that wasn't a really good first language to learn because it's really, really difficult. But um, if you were to give someone like a tip to um, the 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 thing they should really keep in mind if they're going to learn a new language, like what would that be?
5: Uh, very simply, find an Italian friend and and uh, go and have a coffee with them often. Uh, this is over, what you did over that fifty years. I have a friend uh, that I'll be having a coffee with this afternoon and i will be talking i have prepared my italian sermon uh, she'll listen to it she'll comment on it and i'll have a coffee and we speak in italian and that's what keeps my italian current in, in australia and what sort of feedback do you get from
1: this friend of yours about italian does she still give you feedback that you kind of go oh cuz is she a native italian speaker is that oh, yeah, she is
5: professoressa and she's a professor oh well, there you go so um, does Her she, what name's sort of Florif Pinozzo. Oh well, that's yeah, that sounds that sounds
1: really Italian <laughs> legit. Yes, if that's such yes. a thing, from Asiero. Oh in wow, the north of Italy. Oh okay. So, what sort of feedback does she does she still give you constructive feedback about the way in which, um, sort of your Italian phraseology, your Italian turn of
5: phrase, or is that something that you've kind of like got got down at this particular point? Oh, after so many years, I've got down. Yeah, but you just need to be able to be current, and yeah. you need to be able to and know what's the latest words and some of the words have changed and some of the 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 dialects have changed and they're not there so she have got to be be able uh, to just to be make sure that i'm not being corrupted by these dialects that these Italians speak here because they come from all over Italy and they've all got different dialects.
1: Yes, yeah, that must be really hard actually then to, to keep. So do you have to speak
5: in a way that, that, that is it. inclusive of everybody? Yeah. She tells me that I'm sometimes I'm falling into dialect and I don't know it. Oh, wow. How interesting. Yes. That's fascinating. So
1: you guys get together quite regularly to go over these things? Every week. Every week. And you've been doing this now for years? 50 years. Wow. Yes. That's incredible. The kind of friendship and the kind of relationship that you would be building up with someone um, like that over so many years, it must be an incredible, an incredible friendship.
5: It is. Yeah. yeah. Her husband's 94 and she's 80, 88.
1: But you've been doing this since she would have been in her 30s. That's right. Yeah. That's incredible. Correct. What an amazing lifetime it experience. Um, if I was to ask you the question, Sister Josie, about what you think – makes this parish unique? Because every parish is, is unique. Every parish is different. I mean, the one thing that I've noticed that um, is so interesting and in having this wonderful opportunity to go v- around and visit parishes, I wouldn't have imagined that parishes would be have their own individual voices and their own individual identities in the way that they are and their congregation. What is it that you think is um, unique about this parish and what makes it special to you?
6: I'm only five months here.
1: Okay. Where had you come from previously?
6: Philippines.
1: Oh, okay. All oh, right. So into Australia only 5. So you you've come here 5 months.
6: That's right.
1: Into all of this. That's this right. whole COVID. talk to me about this what this experience has been like like from from your point of view because there's really been no precursor to any of this kind of thing. That's right. Tell me about how that's been from your point of view and what you've done to try to help the people in this congregation this parish work through it cope with it.
6: You're speaking with unique you, you, unique because it is this time I stay in a one parish okay I'm used to go around the parish because I'm involved also in the youth ministry in a diocese okay and coming here it's just like I'm staying home yeah because I'm full-time in a one place yeah I just once go in Newton once and stay here yeah what's unique really in the community is the faith, the very faith-centered community. Though they are quite elderly community, mm-hmm. but their faith is too much so beautiful that it will enrich one another. This is very visible during the coronavirus.
1: And mm. what why? How is it visible?
6: It is very visible because because they cannot go to the church, they have this online others have online, others in the television, yeah, they really long for that and they can connect, when you said before that it's, it's not yet nourishing, mm. but these people know when they listen to this mass, they are very much, uh, they really very much appreciated this thing that though it's online, though it's virtual, but they can still hear, they can still connect, they can yeah. still hear the word. Since they are old, it's very different in their reality because they are not the digital people. Yeah. Whereas me, and this time, we tried a little bit of these digital platforms to reach out to them. How did it go? And how we go, just very simple. We do the, some reflections of Father Alan. We put it in email, we put it in Facebook, we put it in homepage to them to reach out. That when those days, they will re- uh, scroll on the internet they can scroll a simple reflection a simple word and some of them attested on it they're thinking on it because those times where they were down and out they were touched with the word of God with that prayer with that reflection
0: Parishes of Adelaide is a production of ArchD Radio and Podcasting for the Catholic Archdiocese of Adelaide. Please check the show notes for all music credits. If you think that there are other people who may enjoy this podcast, please share it with them. And if there are others you know or in your parish who don't have the technology to listen to podcasts on their phone, iPad, computer or other digital device, we can make CDs of this podcast available. So please contact James via email, which is also in the show notes, and we'll work out how to get those to you.
1: Now, this is the last episode in season one of Parishes of Adelaide. Thanks so much for listening and being a part of it with us. It's been a really amazing project to be a part of. If you want to listen to any of the 12 episodes that have been released, you can scroll through all of them right now wherever you're listening to this podcast. I'd really like to acknowledge Father Philip Marshall and Sarah Moffat from the Catholic Church office, who wanted to create a podcast as something to reach out into the broader Archdiocese and bring us all, as much as possible, a little bit closer together during a time when we were disconnected in so many ways. I'd also like to say thanks to Michaela for co-producing episodes 10 and 12 with me here at ArchD. Stay subscribed to Parishes of Adelaide for updates about when our next parish-based podcasts will be released. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon.